to the It's Canon Podcast. It's Monday. You know what that means. It's time to talk about all things Mandalorian, all things Star Wars, all things Disney+. And as always, it's all in canon because that's why we named the show just that. I'm Boris, and this week I'm joined by Phil. Hello. Am I on Earth? Hello. <laughs> Jesus. And Tyler. <laughs> I live. Yes, you do. You were. It was a rough uh, start for you, apparently. I've been back to bed twice this morning. Amazing. And every week, we are joined by a different guest who loves Star Wars just as much as we do, who loves talking just as much as we do. So this week is no different. This week, we are joined by comic book couples counseling hosts, Brad and Lisa. Hello! Hello! Your theme song is banging. You know, it's the best part about our show. Everything we talk is uh, usually full of shit, um, but our theme song is where it's at. Well, I can't wait to uh, listen to... The, I'm going to... If we could start over, I would love to hear it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we screw up enough, we might have to. grooving to it. I was grooving yeah, to it. grooving to it. Awesome. Thank you for joining. So, you know, as I mentioned at the top, this day, Monday, because it is Monday, it's Monday, guys, uh, we're going to be talking about all things Mandalorian. We're going to be talking about all things Season 2, Episode 7 of The Mandalorian. I almost screwed that up. Oh, my God. You know what? We're almost there, guys. And I finally screwed it up. Um, Chapter 15 of The Mandalorian. Um, and without further ado, Phil, it's time for you to take over. I'm going to give everybody a warning. This is spoiler heavy. <laughs> Just in case. All right. So we're going to do a deep dive on this episode. Um, I don't know. I want to go around and see what everybody thought of it. What, what's your takeaway on this episode? Lisa, I got four I get to go first. Um I feel like up front, I should say that I am less Star Wars fluent You're than so some. Defensive. Don't start <laughs> defensive. Um, uh, I tuned, I tuned into the first season, and um, I watched it all. And then when it was time to talk about it on one of our other podcasts, in the Mouth of Darkness podcast, I discovered that I had retained none of it. Um, <laughs> but I, I watched, but then I re-engaged with. Mandalorian season two and I am loving this season and I really enjoyed this episode I like a um I like plots and schemes I like putting together a team and going in there I, I like an Ocean's Eleven Star Wars style so I really like this episode yeah 
Hey, Brad, what do you think? Uh, I dug it. I dug it. You know, um, Lisa says Ocean's Eleven. I like to think of it as like the dirty half dozen or like the dirty <laughs> fistful. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. I was not like the biggest fan of Mayfeld in the Prisoner chapter. Um, you know, Bill Burr. It was just a lot. To, like, hey, oh, do I want Bill Burr in my Star Wars? Is that like, is that chocolate to my peanut butter or is that like egg yolk? Uh, I wasn't sure. Um, this episode, I can say I really liked Bill Burr, and I liked how that character of Mayfeld is testing the philosophies of uh, our our Mando. Yeah, really good points there. Actually, it, uh, I I felt very similar about Mayfield there. Tyler, what do you think of the episode? I really enjoyed it. I, I have very little to add at this point, and it's a good little heist take with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And Boris. Yeah, I agree with Tyler. I love the heist theme. I agree with everyone, but heist was the word that I wanted to use. So screw you, Tyler. I've got to go first next time. Um, <laughs> no, but it was it was a fun episode. I felt that this episode, while didn't have a lot of substance per se, um, you know, it was just a lead into next week's finale. So you know, some can make the argument that it, you know, it wasn't as strong for a reason, but. What I noticed in this episode, and one of the messages I sent to Phil in the morning, um, once I knew he watched it, was there were a lot of nods to Star Wars fans. Like there was a lot of callbacks, there was a lot of Easter eggs, there was a lot of things uh, that you know they put in the episode, uh, whether it be through lines or something in the background or even um, you know quick mentions. Uh, there was a lot of nods and callbacks and things like that, and that was a little fun uh, thing that kind of. It, excelled this episode from you know from okay to good yeah for sure um and yeah after you pointed that out to me and i had to do my deep dive rewatch then i was like i went from initially not really being too thrilled about this episode to the deep analysis part that i have to do for this show was just like oh there's a whole crap ton of stuff going on in this that i missed on the first watch through and yeah so I, I was surprised. So Mandalorian season two, episode seven, chapter 15, The Believer, directed by Rick. And I'm going to get his last name horribly wrong because I had to write this and I don't even know how to how to say it. Fanyuai? Fanyuai? I think it's, I think it's Fumayua. Fumayua. Yeah, it sounds very Eastern or Oriental or, or mystic, but I love his style. I really do. So I even I even caught some some directorial gold in this episode. I, I think it's worth us uh, mentioning with that that he's actually Nigerian. Nigerian, yeah. No, obviously, I know it's just such a cool name, but oh, I'm going to be horrible at it. So cool. That said, I don't want to say it again. <laughs> We're going to call him Mister Rick. <laughs> so we get the the episode opening on. Uh, you know, the scrapyards where we knew Mayfeld was going to be. And we see that we've got repurposed ADATs or AT-ATs um, doing like fishing out scrap and whatnot. And it looks like the concentration is on TIE fighters. And that's where MIGS is basically disassembling one. We get the robot and Cara Dune coming up because apparently you can get a week or two before you can get a badge from a TIE fighter pilot. And that enables you to basically spring prisoners anywhere in the universe right and there was a little bit of a call out to that 
that prisoner or the episode with Mayfeld the first time in first season because the ship that flies overhead is actually the same type of prison ship. So we see we basically see a Hask, which is um, it's kind of this wolf person that's in the background. It seems to be a new type of race in Star Wars because it started in Force Awakens and they use it in Resistance a little bit, too. So I wasn't too impressed by it, but I see a lot of people kind of going crazy on the Internet about it. So I thought I'd mention it. And we get a look at Boba Fett, basically, with matte painted armor, which I thought was an interesting choice because I looked at it and I'm like, oh, my, after all the damage and whatnot that we've seen up to this point, he's kind of gone and done some work on the armor. Anybody have any takeaways from this opening kind of setup? to the credits or to the the title screen the believer and we'll discuss afterwards why we think it's called the believer because <laughs> this is a challenging title as well i like oh i i like the fact that it sets up the mayfield character as strictly mercenary that mm-hmm. he is a, a man without a moral compass because i think it it starts an interesting arc for his character over the course of the episode. And it establishes his relationship with Cara Dune, where they have this kind of mutual respect for each other's skills. But um, Cara Dune is kind of disgusted with um, uh, Mayfield being a criminal. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the moment where... Mayfeld agrees to go with her. You know, like, what options does he have? And that's like a big part of his story is he is a man without options. You know, he he's a person who goes where he goes because he feels like he doesn't have anywhere else to go. Um, so with the choices that he has presented, he goes with Cara Dune. And my favorite bit of that opening sequence is when he sees Boba Fett and he goes, oh, oh, I thought you were this other guy. <laughs> and then out steps, uh, you know, uh, Jaren and... Like, that was a great laugh. That was a great little bit uh, between those two characters. Yeah, it was. It was very good. Tyler, Boris, anything? I just wanted to jump in on we're we're establishing these scrapyards in a few different, like, parts of the Star Wars universe now. Like, it's in the opening of Fallen Order. It's here. Mm -hmm. And and it really looks like there's, there's this other side of the you know, the war machine that we're starting to see and get an understanding. Yeah, it's amazing how vast the Empire was if you can fill a planet with its garbage or Mm. a significant portion of it, right? (laughs) Boris, did you have any takeaways from the setup here? Once again, Tyler stole my point. (laughs) (laughs) We're thinking too much alike. (laughs) So uh, we get we get on the slave one and they really start setting it up. Now there's one thing that was really cool for me and it kind of blew my mind and that was the whole cockpit and holding area having to move like the ship is moving around it. So this is much like the actual slave one toy that I had when I was a little kid in that you pick it up and the the wings kind of move with gravity. And this is I think a suspension system within slave one to adjust for the atmosphere yeah obviously when you're in space you don't need to worry about some of this stuff but in atmosphere it needs to have a whole pivot system inside of the ship where you can see out the window in the in this area because i had to think about this and i can't wait to see the breakdowns of how they conceptualize (laughs) this 
it's going to be one of those geek points for me. Um, and it basically makes tells, uh, tells them about Morak and that it's a rhodidium kind of refinery that's hidden, right? Morak apparently is barren and he's like, Oh no, there's, there's a, there's a, a rebel or a, an emperor, uh, empire base on there and it's just hidden. So rhodidium was, is a fuel that was set up in clone wars and rebels. It's, it's a Dave Filoni thing. And he used it to great extent in his previous shows. So it's ex-ISB agents, apparently, that are running it, which is Imperial Security Bureau. Again, a division of the Empire that basically is there to sniff out traitors to the Empire or people who have different allegiances. And this is, again, something that Dave Filoni kind of created Um Moff Lauren was the head of it, which he was briefly in A New Hope. So this is a backstory linkage to A New Hope and a guy that was in Clone Wars, basically, from from those old days from that show. And yeah, so they 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 come up with um with this plan. They land on the, the planet and they say, well, to get into this place, we are going to have to pass a face scan and they can sense DNA. So that automatically sets Cara Dune out of eligibility because she's a former drop trooper for the rebellion and she's got a rebel tattoo on her face. And we find out that Fennec can't go as well. And the funny thing is, is that this is where it gets uber geeky. This week, Disney Plus announced the Bad Batch and they they showed, well, they didn't announce it, but they showed a clip of it, setting it up. And in there, we see Fennec Shan, mm. and she's on Camino. So obviously, she has a tie-in that they revealed this week to the rebellion in her past. So that 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 was an interesting little Easter egg. And now that I'm really geeking out, <laughs> what did everybody think of the setup? I, I it was a little bit paper thin, if I'm going to be honest, but it served the story really well. I mean, like, I, I think the only thing that really irks me about this episode is the facial scanner business. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that, you know, as we see later on, that Mando can go in there and, and access it. So the idea is that this scanner will accept any face as long as it's not a rebellion face. Or it, a face that, like, or a face that they recognize. Yeah. And like, so, so if you're a stranger, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we'll just give you the keys of the kingdom. Like, that seems very, <laughs> very weird to me. But whatever. It's the premise. I'll buy it. I'll move on. Um, my favorite moment, like geeky moment of that sequence is Boba saying that, oh, I think these guys will recognize my face, you know, because yeah. he's a clone. Right. Like, that's another great laugh in this episode. Um, but like to me, what's important is you have to get these two guys to board these juggernaut uh, vessels, go undercover and get uh, Jaren out of his armor. And, mm -hmm. and so like wh whatever the setup is, I'm less interested in what in, in that than what it, it forces our character to do and, and to face or confront his own belief system. Yeah. And I like the, the, in, um, facing his belief system and his creed, I like the enormous presence that the child still has in this episode yeah. without us being able to squee over how adorable he is. He is motivating every single episode and motivating this progressive change we've seen 
in Jin Jaren from the beginning. Yeah, like the the Jaren of chapter one would not recognize the Jaren of chapter 15. And that's really exciting to me. One of our, our themes on comic book couples counseling is, is um, how when we're faced with challenges, we learn what our true principles are. And a lot of your contentment with who you are is an understanding and accepting of what are your true principles. And I think that that's what this story of Jinjarin is about, of him growing up with this creed and then finding this new meaning in his life that is stripping down. It It's establishing what are my true ingrained principles. Yeah, I think I think we're really going to see a battle with Din at this point with himself if he yeah. actually gets to a point where he has to release the child to the Jedi. Mm. It's being set up and foreshadowed quite a lot because he keeps on talking to the child like in the last episode. Well, that nice lady, you know, she she said you, you, you need to be trained and you're going to be OK with that. Right. I think he's more talking to himself. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be all right with that because he, like you guys have pointed out, he's prepared, at least. At, at this point, he's being forced into being the guy that goes and, and tries to heist this vehicle from the yeah. Clone Wars. Again, it was a callback to the, the prequels. But, you know, I, 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 I know that moment that we're going to talk about, he's obviously willing to throw it all under the bus and without hesitation, right? He's, it's a very important fact that you're pointing out. Boris, Tyler... What are your feelings, man? Men. <laughs> oh, Boris, I keep stealing your points. <laughs> I was waiting for that. All right. Yeah, so, I called Boris first on I this know. one. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing, as everyone was kind of calling out why they couldn't get the face scan or go through that scan, my favorite was Boba Fett at this point, and he just flat out says, you know, they know my face. Like, they, I can't be the yeah. one to go there. So, you know, one of the many callbacks in this episode. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, and... Overall, yeah, like, we're starting to see a real difference in characters with Din Djarin. Um, it's We're seeing a more, you know, human person as opposed to someone who follows the creed, someone who follows rules. He's starting to think on his own more. He's starting to think with his heart more. And, you know, he's doing everything he can for Grogu at this point. Um, you know, he, we're going to, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but he kind of goes against a lot of what he's um, said and done in the past and you know as it's already been pointed out by brad you know he the, the transformation that he's had as an overall character is just really profound and i think in this episode especially we see how far he's willing to go for the child yeah so my point was on kind of the always one of the interesting things i've always found is um in in any sort of fundamentalist belief for lack of a better term um, how you interact between different tensions. Um, and, and you notice it in real life as well. If some religions have times when rules are bent or broken and what that means within the, the, like the larger creed. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how, like we've, we've heard allusions to how um, fundamentalist this group Jin's a part of is. It's going to be really interesting to see how that continues to develop as we learn more about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of reckoning coming forward in that end of it, too. Um, so, these guys basically, there was a real moment here where Mayfeld, like, they, they go in, they, they, they take the transport, and then they're 
putting on the armor, and I, I, I did like the fact that Mayfeld is like, oh, man, this stinks. This guy stinks. <laughs> and, you know, the gloves are sweaty. It's something that they never really talk about in Star Wars. You know, yeah. Luke and Han just put on the Stormtrooper outfits, and, and they're ill-fitting, but, oh, we'll make do, right? So these look to be hover tank uh, outfits based off a of Rogue One design. A little bit evolved, a little bit of color change. That's for the 501st geeks out there listening. Uh, and yeah, so we have the limitation as they're driving. They find out you can't go super fast in this. It's just like the movie The Solo. If you go too fast, it becomes unstable. Or, you know, in Solo, it was like, let's rush to get before it explodes. But in this one, it, it kind of had this linkage to me that I was like, okay, so we're putting constraints on on what we can do. And then we get the pirates, right? Like, Din has this moment where he looks at the kid. I don't know. Is it the kid reminds him of him? Or is it the kid is signaling the pirates to come and take, take that, that transport, like giving some kind of signal to to the, the bad people or the good guys in this case, depending on your point of view, right? Because this episode... Us? Pardon me? Why not both? Yeah, it, it, this episode does kind of throw it, because I was thinking about this the other day, how you celebrate, you know, we get this whole big fight with the pirates and, you know, Din kind of throws a spear and I don't know, is that foreshadowing again for the, the Beskar spear? You know, the, he's going to be wielding that in some kind of fashion because he's got skills, but we go through all this thing with thermal detonators from the original series and trying to sabotage everything. And we see basically, um, the TIE fighters come in and take them out, right? And the stormtroopers kind of mounting a defense to get the, the transport in. And you can't help but feel victory in that yeah. moment. But this is the bad guys. You know what I mean? And here they are. There's camaraderie going on where they're like saluting one another and congratulating and celebrating their victory together. And I was just like, oh, this is actually a really effective way of showing both sides of war that it's some kind of ideal that you're having a problem with. It's not that you're that different as a people. Brad and Lisa, did you? Yeah. Did I mean, you have I, feelings? this is the most exciting thing of the entire episode for me, right? Like, uh, one, I mean, I love the setup of, uh, you know, we can't go too fast because these things are going to explode. It's an homage directly to uh, Wages of Fear and Sorcerer. Two great movies, if you haven't seen those. Highly recommend those flicks. Though, to me, they evoke speed, because Keanu Reeves. Speed, but no, <laughs> this, is, this is Sorcerer. This is Sorcerer, this is Wages of Fear. But then, like, that moment where Mayfeld is, you know, talking to Jaren as they're going through that village, uh, and he's like, you know, like, Republic, Empire, to these people, we're just invaders. Like, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, like, your war that you're fighting means nothing to them. You're both oppressors. And I love that. And I then... Like when the pirates, like he calls them pirates, but are they pirates or are they freedom fighters? Because they're not yeah. looting anything. They are here to blow up imperial ships, the uh, vessels. These are people that we would have cheered and rooted for in Return of the Jedi, right? But because Jaren and Mayfeld need to get into this base to get this scanner, they got to use the Empire. They have to pull something from them. They're under threat, so they're fighting. And our guy is Mando, so we root for him but we should probably be on the side of the freedom fighters. And so when those Imperial TIE fighters swoop in and eradicate everything and Mayfeld like lets out a whoop, 
suddenly like my stomach drops. I feel like garbage. I feel gross. And then as they slowly pull into the base and all the stormtroopers are cheering and and like high-fiving, like 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 Mando, you get these great shots of Jaren and you know, we don't see his face. We can only imagine what's going on in his head. But I imagine inside his head is a storm cloud of conflicting feelings. You know, (laughs) those people are dead because he needs to get Grogu. And so he elected to kill these people to save Grogu. And as an audience member, we have to be conflicted about that. Of course, we want to get Grogu back. But do we want to, like, be in that moment throwing spears into marauders? I like to me, I feel like with the um, calling the f- the freedom fighters, you know, pirates and having them be on a suicide mission. Yeah, the, those freedom fighters were willing to die anyway. And I think that we would feel very different if at the end of the episode, things don't end up the way that they end up with, mm-hmm. with this ultimate, um, you know, terrorist act of blowing up the entire base. Cause then uh, aside from getting closer to Grogu, which is very personally important to, to, they, to, yeah. um, Jaren, but also, um, strategically important perhaps to the natives. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so to me, I, I find the moral conflict, uh, with the pirates, the quote unquote pirates, very intriguing. Also in this, um, in this kind of chase scene fight scene, I love the contrast between the sturdiness of the stormtroopers armor versus the sturdiness of the Mandalorian's armor. The best guard, yeah. Because any opportunity to point out how fragile and inequipped the stormtroopers actually are and just goes to show how how much the empire just does not value human life and they see their um soldiers as just straight fodder yeah yeah with their plastic armor (laughs) with their plastic crap armor (laughs) but some of their strategies are not that different than the mandalorians where the mandalorians may value life more by giving their soldiers like this um impenetrable invaluable armor they the mandalorians um according to uh, Jaren's creed uh, does not value the individual because they, for them, their most powerful weapon is to keep their face covered to make each other interchangeable. Um, so it's interesting to see like they're coming from these uh, different backgrounds, but they use some of the same mechanisms to subjugate their members. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I would also want to uh, point out that Mayfeld's uh, conversation before they ride into battle Mm -hmm. as they're going through that village is very reminiscent to DJ's uh, uh, philosophy in The Last Jedi, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, it doesn't matter, you know. Republic yeah. Empire, you're both warmongers. But we later learned that that's not exactly what Mayfield believes, sure. which I think makes him this really interesting character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sets up that 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 kind of decision that he makes near the end of this episode, right? It it, it shows you where he's coming from right now, and we're gonna get to a different place after we get into the Imperial base. That's probably gonna cement him going forward, right? Yes. Just between 
what he has to endure with speaking to his former like commanding officer and what he has to uh, absorb from Cara Dune and whatnot uh, at the end of the episode. I think all that stuff is very important for molding Mayfeld's character going forward, which I don't, I really think that we're going to see him reemerge in the series, like season three or something like that. I, I think it's a paycheck that he's definitely going to want to cash in on because it's probably getting him a lot more eyeballs on yeah. his acting credentials than F is for family right now. <laughs> so, not that there's anything wrong with that show. It's, it's, it's just, you know, just the economics of star Wars. Uh, Tyler, do you I have also any? think that, that one of the things that we're both us and, and star Wars as a brand right now has been dancing around is the ongoing attempts to humanize what are explicitly space Nazis. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and this tension that I think that we'd all agree that, you know, depending on which iteration they do a good or a poor job at the, the attempted humanization of the individual on the ground. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. the, the Nuremberg defense coming in again. So I, I think it's really interesting that we keep looking at that. And like we said, that there's these ideals behind the 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 New Republic and the Old Republic. That, that okay, go for it. I think one of the coolest and most stunning and beautiful things to come out of Star Wars was <laughs> was the moral complications presented by the adding of the prequels. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. when we like we come at like when we saw the original trilogy as children, we are like Jedi good, Empire bad, but then adding the prequels, we learn, oh it, the Jedi are actually self-absorbed and foolish. And make a series of mistakes that that are catastrophic. Are catastrophic and and um, disastrous. So this idea of like humanizing the individuals just goes on to the. Um, it was like Mayfield was saying, like depending on your circumstances, you could mm-hmm. believe any one of these tropes, any one of oh, these totally. creeds. So I, I like to me, I think that um, the course correction following the original series followed by the the prequels, prequels has been just Shakespearean. Well, and I would say masterful. The, the Shakespearean side really comes in with Filoni and Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. I think he really takes yeah. some of those ideas from the prequels and elevates them to those Shakespearean levels and really mm-hmm. goes like, this is what the prequels were about. This is what they should have been about. So cool. Um, but like, yeah. I, I, I do think ultimately what you, you go from these stories is, I, you know, I have the, the, I, the ideology of the Republic and the New Republic. Like that's, uh, you know, equality, empathy. What, what they're spouting, I believe in. But when you're spouting that stuff, like there's, there's things you have to be aware of. And mm. like, how are you going about uh, living up to your ideology. That's oh, what's totally, so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it's definitely a matter of, you could understand, especially with Filoni's work there, um, they're talking about, like, you know, the Republic had a bunch of downsides that give justification for individuals to make that determination of, I'm going to gamble on this other option. 
um, I was thinking most recently, like the the camp, the, the Empire part of the campaign in Squadrons is they're comically evil mm-hmm. as as a great misstep, mm. right? As, the, the, the individuals there are all like these are monstrous, monstrous human beings. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one of the things I'll bring it up again. I know I, I brought it up a couple times on the show here is a book by Claudia Gray, which mm. if you're ever going to read, like I know it's a young adult book, which some people find instantly turns them on even trying it. But I'm going to tell you, it's really well written and it's called Lost Stars. And if you've never read a Star Wars book before, this is probably a book that's going to expose a lot about where Lucasfilm want to go with this property. Mm. And that is trying to display the motivation behind the empire and behind the rebellion and identifying these themes and showing you the inside workings and trying to kind of say to you, they're not all bad people. They might be motivated by bad ideas or bad leaders, you know, in in terms of the empire, but really it's people who are in crazy unstable situations in their life and the empire helped them. And they're just turning a blind eye to Alderaan. They're, they're willingly ignoring the really bad things and, and, and maybe drinking the water about why it needed to happen or whatever justification the Empire is floating. But they're still not fundamentally that much different than us. And that this episode kind of did that for me. But I'm also, you know, I was a kid. I think I'm more of John Favreau. Like when I see Dave Filoni doing his work, it is just he is making it worth watching the prequels if he didn't like them again because of his work in Clone Wars. Mm. Right? Okay. He, he's he's Shakespearean or, or very great at realizing the vision that George started to do. He's great at delivering on it. But I think John Favreau is like, wasn't it cool when we were yes. kids and we'd play Star Wars? <laughs> and he had Mandalorians with these cool helmets and the idea that there was a bunch of them and they could fly I think I'm John Favreau <laughs> in this where I'm like, oh, yeah, as a little kid, I had lots and lots of stormtroopers, you know, yeah. and, and I played with those. And, you know, I never drew the the, the linear connotation that these were space Nazis. Yeah. I was just like, oh, man, they just look so cool. And they, they turned that crank in my inner child mind and I never let them go. <laughs> but I think that's why Filoni and Favreau are such a good team together. Uh, you know, like they, I think they both complement each other so well. And uh, like that's that's why like season two in particular, I feel like is succeeding as much as it does is because it has both of those things going on. Mm-hmm. Boris, what are your thoughts on all this? Because yeah, there's, there's a, a lot, a lot to take in. There's a lot of heavy <laughs> stuff being discussed. And that's what I love about Star Wars. You know, that's my takeaway from all of this is that, you know, George Lucas created this uh, space soap opera, um, you know, Say what you want about George Lucas. At the end of the day, he did not think of everything that we're talking about right now. This is after years and years of adding to the canon. You know, his original vision was a space opera. Um, But now we're just getting into this amazing world where, you know, we have the moral compass being constantly reset. You know, we have propaganda being sold to us, and we as the viewers are buying into the propaganda and, you know, willfully 
going back and forth on sides. We're seeing both sides of the New Republic and the Empire. We're also seeing the New Republic and how fragile it is. You know, they just won the Galactic Civil War, but yet the Empire is still controlling a lot of the galaxy. You know, that's one thing that I really wanted to highlight here is that, you know, while, um, you know, while the good guys using that very loosely one with the rebellion um you know the empire is still probably stronger than ever in certain areas of the galaxy and that's yeah. something that this show has kind of hinted at and i'm really enjoying that because it's also showing us and kind of enforcing the fact because i know a lot of one of the questions a lot of people had was in the sequel trilogy you know how did the new republic fall like what what's the deal like why didn't the rebels you know just bring the new republic and everything is back to the way it used to be and because there's political reasons right you know you see it in countries that have been quote-unquote liberated over the past mm. you know 15 20 years you know that they're in a weak fragile state and anyone is able to just go in and take over and we're seeing these elements with the empire and it's really cool to see this because it's, you know, mirroring real life. Um, it also allows you to think about the world we live in ourselves, um, you know, in, in terms of propaganda and choosing sides and who the good guys are versus who the bad guys are. Um, and, you know, as they did this, this uh, the chase scene, you know, one of the callbacks that I loved was when the TIE fighters swoop in, it just reminded me of uh, New Hope when Han Solo helps Luke Skywalker right before <laughs> destroying the Death Star, you know, just from the fly-in to the reaction, um, you know, with Mayfield, and it was just overall really cool, and I like that, but, you know, I feel like this middle part, you know, from the discussion they had, and talking about Alderaan, talking about Mandalore, talking about, you know, what it's worth, um, you know, it just kind of reminded me a lot of the discussions in the later episodes of Band of Brothers, whether you read the book or watched the show, you know, it was, why are we doing this? Why why are we fighting? What's the point of all of this? And I'm loving how that's the question that's constantly being raised in the Star Wars world right now, is was what was the point of this all? Um, you know, and, you know, this could lead to the title of the... Um, the episode, Believer, you know, uh, it's just, there's so much to unpack with such, like, what, 10, 15 minute scene, but there was just so much that happened, so much lure that just got opened up, so much mirroring with the real world, um, you know, and it's, this is why I love Star Wars, this is why I love sci-fi, because you're able to take all these concepts, and you're able to put them in something that we easily understand, that we can easily relate to, so, you know, Anyone who ever says, I don't like politics in my TV, I don't like politics in my <laughs> comic, comic books or whatever, this is the whole point. You know, it's dumbing stuff down to a point that we can relate to that isn't the real world. You're not putting up actual things that exist. They're trying to explain things in such a way that you can see are the real world um, in these pieces of art. So, you know, anyone who thinks that there's no politics in star wars or comic books or video games or, or whatever anything or anything every Could... action is a political exactly. action yeah. Exactly. Yeah. thank you exactly yeah thank you you know i've uh, tyler 
Phil and myself are tired of saying that, but I feel like this episode really put that into perspective. And, you know, it's the why we fight. Was this really worth it? Um, that's the thing that I'm really absolutely loving. One last point is Mandalore. Like, I'm really... it's This episode piqued my interest on Mandalore because they talk about Mandalore as if it's destroyed. Like, something's happened there. We don't know what. So I'm really looking forward to actually um, being able to explore that part of the galaxy a little more. Yes. I know, I know Dave has alluded to the fact that the Empire destroyed Mandalore. Like, they, they went in, and the, the Mandalore is the only place that you can find Beskar in the universe. And what happened, supposedly, loosely, would be the Empire mined the Beskar out of the planet so much that the planet collapsed. So, like, half of the planet basically was lost into space type thing. So I don't know what actually is going to happen, what they're actually going to depict, because this is all stuff that's not firmly in canon. It's alluded to in Rebels and things like that. And we do see Mandalore at a certain point with Rebels, but we know that there's a cataclysm that happens obviously under the Empire's watch. And that's probably going to be explained or realized especially with the Bo-Katan episode yeah they talk about returning to Mandalore and it's not that bad it's there's there's like a propaganda angle to keeping people away from it so who knows on that front (laughs) now this sets up into the show for me one of the most impactful uh sequences and that is they get in there they have to find this terminal this terminal's in the mess hall like you know, okay. I, I, there's a lot of weird stuff as you guys have already pointed out about the face scanning and whatnot. Obviously, it serves the story, yeah. but it's just you know, it everywhere else. Like I'm used to the Death Star and any Star Wars video <laughs> game where these terminals are freaking everywhere and exactly at R2's height <laughs> and everything like that. But here we have one made for people, and it's in the kitchen (laughs) so immediately like Migs is like oh there it is there and he walks in and then he like immediately like oh shit and I thought this was really well acted because it's a lot of reaction right it's like how would you feel if you walked in and your ex-wife were there or something (laughs) like that and he'd be like I'm turning and I'm walking out and he's like nope we're done this is it I see my old boss in there Valen Hess I'm I'm not doing this and that's Richard Brake uh, plays him. He's the guy who did the, the big ghost walker thing from Game of Thrones for a couple seasons. The Night seasons. King. The Night King. That's it. Also, so, Joe Chill from Batman Begins. Yep. Yes. He's, also, he's a great character actor. Amazing. They also guy. referenced Project Cinder, which was the plot from Battlefield Battlefront 2. Yeah. Though well, this, this gets really deep because yeah. basically Mando goes in, like Din decides, all right. Nope, full stop. I got to save Grogu. You know, you can see that as motivation. He's not bringing it up, but you know, without hesitation, he's just like, okay, I'm going to go up to this thing, tries it with the mask on, doesn't go. And then it's just like, all right, this has to get done. This has to get done. And he just pops the helmet off, and you can sense his uncomfortableness, right? And obviously this ex-ISB officer who's meant to sniff out traitors to the Empire 
is looking at this whole thing, it it's he starts to get alarm bells ringing, right? So he goes over and tries to talk to Din. After Din finds out, he does see the location of where uh, Moff Gideon's ship is, right? And big props to Star Wars Theory. Already published a video on the internet basically identifying where the ship is. Like, that's how, how bad the, the geek verse is. He's, he's basically saying that it's on Nard Shadara. And it's, it's, it's a world from Star Wars canon that's run by the Huts, I believe. Hmm. And it, it could be a place where if you were the Empire, post-Empire, it might be acceptable for you to hide out. But these are deep, deep geek reaches that will be uncovered in a week. So it's not worth going down that, that end. But he is asked for his TK number, which, again, for all the Star Wars geeks, every Stormtrooper is assigned a TK number. Right. If you join the 501st, you get a TK number or you pick one and it's got to be a unique number. So Din is like, uh, uh, I'm a hover tank driver. I'm a driver, co-pilot assistant. You know, he's stumbling. This guy smells the blood. Right. Hess is just like, OK, something's up. And then Migs bails him out just without hesitation, jumps in there. And he's just like, oh, yeah, uh, this is my commanding officer. Uh, he's TK 593. I'm TK 111 and yeah, you know, there's, there's, he's hard of hearing because he actually got, uh, his, his hearing damage at the battle of Tanab and the battle of Tanab is a reference to return of the Jedi when Lando Calrissian tells Han that he's promoted to general because of the maneuver that he pulled at the battle of Tanab. So this is a reference to that. And a deep cut there. And they call him brown eyes, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. But the the name stuck. So we 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 basically at that point, Miggs is trying to get him out of there. And this is one of the weirdest call-outs ever. And I haven't seen anybody really realize this yet. But he's like, like I've seen them remark on it. He says, Let's go fill out our TPS reports. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. saw it too. I was like, oh really. Which, yeah, this is this is a, a reference to the 1999 movie Office Space. But here's the funny connection. All right. It wasn't an ad lib from 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 Miggs or, you know, Bill like, Burr. yeah, Bill Burr. Sorry. This is actually to me, the the guy who wrote that movie was Mike Judge. All right. And Mike Judge is also the writer of King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. King of the Hill is Dave Filoni's first cartoon that he worked on. Oh, oh, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. So, if anything, I think that it is an actual planted line from John, uh, from Dave Filoni to Mike Judge, and I think that that's the deep connection that people are really scrambling for. That I think they thought it was an ad lib of a line, but I'm like, oh, there is no accidents in this. Oh, that so, I love that. That's very adorable. Yeah, that that is purely my speculation at this point. So. I haven't seen it kind of pop up on the internet. So we we get to this great tension-filled conversation because Hass says, come on, let's have a drink. And what are we going to toast to? Because I don't want to do all the rote stuff. I don't want to, you know, let's toast the empire. Or let's toast, you know, bringing peace to the, or, or order to the galaxy or whatever. Yeah. And Mayfeld, he's obviously, because he's like asking Din Jarden, where are you from? Like he's going deeper on Din, knowing that something's up with him. And Mayfeld instantly says something to shock him. 
And he goes, how about we toast to Operation Cinder? Which Operation Cinder is a reference to a Shattered Empire comic, and it was fully realized in Battlefront 2. It's part of the contingency plan that the Emperor had left. You know, given that he was, if, if, if he passed away, if he died. And this is basically encapsulating different planets with these satellites and killing those planets and the population by causing environmental disaster. So it's a way that the Empire can kind of have a last FU to the people. And he goes on about um, that Mayfeld says he was on Bronin Con during Operation Cinder. And that five to 10,000 people were killed. And obviously Mayfeld is bringing up, like he's digging now into his own soul about was it worth it? This conversation that we've been having. Is all of this death worth it? I just spoke for a really long time. I want to hear from you guys about it. Boris, I'm going to go to you because you look bored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making sure that we're recording. I'm making sure that the levels are good. Uh, I still don't trust our tech. Um, but yeah, no, this was tension filled. Um, you know, I felt that, you know, they were being questioned and asked, you know, what are we going to toast to as a way of trying to like still sniff them out, see if they're actual empire, see what the deal is with these guys, see what they know. So it was a way of getting more information, um, you know, and the amount of callbacks was so like. For me, it's the callbacks is what really made this episode, and this part really had a lot of them. Um, and, you know, it was just a really good scene, um, but, you know, I love how it was very silent. All you heard was them really talking, so it was like, yeah. all focus on them, you know, tension is growing, and, you know, you just wanted to see what was going to happen next, where this was going to go, um, and it was just really well acted by everyone, um, and... You know, I feel that uh, it was just really interesting because if you if you notice, Mayfield's constantly looking at Din, like looking at his face, <laughs> like he's always kind of, you know, checking him out, making like seeing what this guy's actually about. Um, so, you know, you kind of had like, you know, he kept kind of glancing over at him. Um, and it was just, you know, those small things were so well thought of. And I, it just added to the entire experience in this, uh, like, this small little scene. Brad, Lisa, what do you guys think? I mean, I love this moment. I mean, uh, you know, getting beyond the scanner sequence and, like, why he has to take the helmet off. Like, it, it, what's important is that he does elect to take the helmet off. And when he does so, I think Pedro Pascal's acting in this moment is really beautiful yep. because he's so obviously um, uncomfortable. And when he is confronted by uh, Hess, like, and he's like stumbling to try to figure out what to say, like, I think this is the first time he's taken his armor off and interacted with anyone. You know, that is a huge mask that he has removed. That is a huge um, suit of confidence that he has removed, he, like interacting in this form, this exposed raw nerve form is traumatic for him. And thankfully Mayfeld comes in and saves his bacon calling him brown eyes, um, <laughs> which I actually really like because to me that it calls back to like Clint Eastwood as blue eyes yep. from yep. the man with no name trilogy. And so that really works. And then what I really adore is that 
Hess doesn't recognize Mayfeld. Like Mayfeld was, and it hurts Mayfeld's feelings. Yeah, he was. He was like worried oh, yeah. that he wasn't going to get called out, and then he could have just gone originally, and nothing would have happened because Hess doesn't recognize his soldiers. They're just to to use Lisa's word from earlier, fodder to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've fixed the facial scan. Oh, yeah. Scene. I wish they had consulted with me before, uh, you know, <laughs> going like this is the final version of the script. Because if they were planning on having Hess, is that yeah. the guy's name? Hess invite them over for a drink. That would have been a really good opportunity to go like you have to take the mask off to have this drink. And what? Yeah a compromise to be yeah. having to take the mask off to toast the empire. That's, that's, that's what it should have been. been. Okay. Right, right. So I fixed that. Right. You're welcome. If they want to do some reshoots, like I'm available to, for <laughs> as a consultant with, for, with a fee. Cause this, these are tough times. Um, but what I love in this particular scene is at the beginning of this episode, Mayfield is teased and criticized for having been part of the empire. Um, because he is this emotionally detached dude and he doesn't care as long as he's making money. That's the way he presents himself. But then we learn from this scene and his talking about Operation Cinder that there was a time that he was a true believer in the empire. And so when, um, and when he was a, when he was a stormtrooper, he was, serving what he believed was right. And so when Operation Cinder happened, he that is when he he was traumatized and his world was turned upside down and this kind of I don't get I don't care, I can be a criminal, I can be a mercenary. Yeah, his belief was shattered. It, like it's it, his whole attitude of making jokes, uh doing the terrible thing, committing violence is all an emotional detachment from his trauma, which I think is um, contrary to like, we go like, oh, you know, like he's like, uh, he's like a, like a slightly worse Han Solo where Han Solo is like, I, I'm, I don't care cause I'm cool. You know, like he's actually a product of the empire. He's one of their like broken toys. And the idea that he can go back and then, um, commit this act of just rage. Like it's, it wasn't a, what he did was a terrible plan and it could have compromised everybody shooting Hess, shooting Hess. But Mm -hmm. like the fact that he has this moment of rage makes him more human to, uh, Din Jaren and more human to, um, Cardoon. Yeah. Yeah. Cardoon. So yeah, Yeah, totally. Tyler. Oh, that's 100% correct. All of that. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I, I agree with that rewrite entirely as well. It's a great way to square uh, you, that. You know what? You're circle. welcome, Star Wars. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. It solves all of it. Um, I do think that it's also worth uh, looking into that that as like a minor thing of, of doing the comparison with Han Solo. We're now supposed to retroactively believe was shaped by the Empire from yeah. Solo. And, and, you know, I think we all kind of agree that, like, you know, that movie was not without flaw. So. Well, Han actually was always hinted at being an ex-Empire. Hinted versus. There was, there was one book that's technically Legends now. 
but they pretty much confirmed it because there's a book called the Imperial Handbook, and the notes in the columns are from Han Solo. Like, and they 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 script like they wrote it in and made it look like it was his actual handbook from the Imperial Academy, and this thing got released like years ago. Yeah. So that that was like the impetus behind putting that in Solo. But I, I agree, like he didn't excel in the Empire. He got the heck out of there as quickly as he could. Whereas Mayfeld looks like he was in the trenches, right? Like he he had to witness his whole battalion getting killed just for this operation. And you know when he's talking to Hess, Hess finally gets to a point where he's like, everybody thinks they want freedom. But what they really want is order. And that's what he believes. And that's where I think the title of this show comes from. Because Hess is the believer. And he's going to die for this belief. Right? He's going to go down with the ship, towing the line, and believing, killing all of these people through this op- these operations and making all those decisions, which Mayfeld is throwing out at him, trying to say, make me not kill you. Show some empathy. Show that, you know, show some regret because he's going after him. Like, how can you justify this? How the hell can you do this to people? How can you go around the world? And it harkens back to the whole ethical argument about Alderaan and the destruction of it, right? Which, like, Star Wars is responsible for some of the most atrocious stuff on film as far as Alderaan was destroyed, an entire population of people, genocide committed, you know, in in A Force Awakens, like seven worlds are destroyed in the same fashion by Starkiller Base. It's it it it's pretty incredible stuff that they're using to try and heavy hand a message, right? It's a blunt object for talking about this stuff, and it's so funny because this is one of the first times that I see them engaging with it head on in the show, right? Where they're yeah. like, these ethical decisions are pretty terrible. And you guys have to be responsible for it. So, yeah, they basically get the heck out of there because they shoot the guy. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they jump shot up. first. Yeah, Mayfield shot first. <laughs> <laughs> and they get out to Slave One with Cara Dune and, and Fennec uh, uh, taking out people. Um, and it also shows you, because the, the turrets on the top of the building are actually armed by proper uh, uh, Death Star type uh helmeted guys but it shows you a a point that you guys brought up in that the empire is still very ordered like they still have ranks they still have specific jobs and duties it's not like you know when they first open up the sequence and all the armor is dirty and stuff like that the empire is thriving in certain areas of the universe still even on the delmo they're all splintered groups though right well, that's, that's what we're led to believe, but I think that that's where this whole thing with Thrawn and yeah. Moff Gideon are starting to converge in on this idea because obviously, you know, as the, you know, the rise of Skywalker has shown us, the Emperor is squirreling away a lot of ships. Yeah. The First Order is on the rise yeah. in the Outer, outer Rim, and that's, that's going to be the foundation for the other new show, the 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 about you know setting up peace in and in, in the universe and the hints that we get from uh uh the pilot there uh, from kim's convenience you know 
that he's talking about, well, we're getting word that something's happening out here. Yeah. And we're concerned about it. So the we idea, need to be- like, I, the idea I always had was, you know, the rebellion was a small thing, you mm-hmm. know, that that grew and grew and grew and was able to take down the empire. But the empire was the empire and the universe is huge and ever expanding. And so you get out to these outer rim planets and the government of the new republic is not large enough to really, you know, reach into all these places that are firmly entrenched with empire. Right. And Hess even remarks upon that in his like little soliloquy <laughs> leading yeah. to his death, where he's like, the Republic's in disarray. Right. He he points that out. Like we are getting our shit together and those guys don't have a clue on how to govern, you know, and the universe is going to get to a point and we've set it up all season too. Right. Where first episode Mando goes in to that town and what's well, the minute the empire collapsed, the Raiders came in and yeah. started, you know, taking over and there was nobody there to stop them because the empire doesn't exist anymore. Right. So they're, they're, they've been setting up and world building subtly. I know Boris caught that the first time, which I was just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so anyhow, Mayfeld makes a decision to shoot the tankers, which I think ultimately was, you know, his transformation as we've talked about. And then basically at the end, Mando uh, and Cara Dune just basically says, well, isn't it funny how you, you died there? And, <laughs> you know, Mayfeld's like just not getting it. Like, what, I can go now? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just a really funny angle because he's like, really? I, I can get out of here? <laughs> We're okay with this? Because I will. Because <laughs> I will. Yeah, exactly. And it was just, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. And then the, the closing is Mando sending an exact word for word almost uh, message back to Moff Gideon of, uh, that he used in an episode seven last year, uh, chapter seven, where, you know, Moff Gideon is like, you have something that I want. And he uses the same. You can actually play them side by side and they're almost timed exactly the same. Yeah. So you just let him know I'm coming to get Grogu and you yeah. have no idea. The right. slight difference in the mirroring is Moff Gideon uses the word it mm-hmm. and yeah. Jaren uses the word he. Yeah. It's I I it's a great setup for episodes for episode eight. I was kind of hoping personally that we would get more like we did last year, a better cliffhanger, a, mm-hmm. a better integration, like a, a two episode finale. Instead, we're going to have the one episode finale. Yeah. And I know that they're not really observing their little half hour constraint this season. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit longer of an episode next week. But what are your thoughts on all this stuff? Tyler? Yeah, I, I feel like you're, what you're saying of like, it's kind of this weird timing on it. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see they actually, you know, end Gideon with this. Or he becomes an ongoing concern. Yeah, for sure. Brad, Lisa? Uh, So I've got a lot. I've got a lot that's (laughs) on my head based off of what you guys have been saying. But uh, I I think we're like, you know, general, again, getting back to like the general thought of this episode. uh, I think initially as I was watching it, um, I was going, oh, this is not 
the episode that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to match the formula of the first season. And maybe I was a little disappointed in that for like a hot second until we got to the Richard Hess sequence and we had that conversation. And I like that the show is going, you know what, formula, I know you think we're just like an episode of the week. We go to this pit stop and we go to that pit stop. But this season, in these pit stops, each pit stop has radically changed the thought processes of our central hero. And like, it's not a typical like episode, like a season of Magnum PI where like this week Magnum fights this thing. And I thought like the middle of the first season was much more like that or like an X-Files, like Mm. this is a fluke man episode and this is the stretchy tombs episode. This season I think was building on a jar and in a way that the first season was not. Uh, I would push back a little bit on who the believer is in this episode. I have thoughts on that too. Uh, I I'll, I'll let you I'll let you speak in a in a second, Lisa. <laughs> I'm rambling right now. Oh, excuse um, me. I do think that Hess is a believer. I think you could call him the believer. He could be the believer in this. I think there's a lot of believers in this episode, actually. Yeah. But for me, the believer is Jaren, and it's what did he believe before? And what does he believe now? Like when that message comes up and he says, you know, uh, he means more to me than you will ever know. Well, guess what? We know. Like the audience now knows. Moff Gideon might not know, but we do. And that's a huge leap. And I, you know, that's what I'm really responding to is like, not so much who is the believer, but what does the believer believe in now? Mm-hmm. Um and so that's where I am on this episode. So I came away going like, this is, it's not my favorite of of the second season, but suddenly, especially in talking with you guys about it, like it's only getting better and better in my mind. Uh, it's, yeah. it's one of my favorites of the second season. Lisa, continue your rambling. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as a Monkees fan, I think I do have to say that Mickey Dolenz is a, is the believer oh, and yes. he wouldn't okay. leave her if if he tried. Uh-huh. Um uh my thoughts All on All three Monkees fans are laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh Smash Smash Mouth can't suck it. Um Um <laughs> uh, my thoughts on this episode, the big question in my mind is what is Jin Jaren going to learn about the Jedi before he hands over Grogu? If he does hand over Grogu. That's what I'm yeah. saying, because I think the uh, the episode title, The Believer, is multi-pronged. I think mm. that Hess is the believer, and Jin Jaren is the believer, and Mayfield is the believer. And I think that it's exposing what a vulnerable and compromising position it is to be in to believe something mm-hmm. outside of yourself. Because we've seen like where you can't take your helmet off, that's a limitation. There's only so many things you can do in your life without really challenging that position. And when push to, comes to shove, is that really your true principle? Because you're going to take off that mask. Well, if- Mayfeld says like, okay, what's the deal here? Is not being seen your principle or is not taking the helmet off? Because those are two different things. That mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, and, and we know from watching the Star Wars universe, believing in the Jedi principles can be very compromising and be very disillusioning. What's and, up, Ahsoka? And, 
And so I, I think that um, it's this um, series, particularly in this season, is really asking the question like, is it worth it? Can you live your life fully believing in something you don't understand? And something, and what in life is willing, are you willing to compromise for a, a greater belief in yourself? Hmm. Wow. That, you know what? Like, honestly, I was struggling with finding the reason for the show to be called The Believer. And I figured it was going to be a good talking point, but I'm really actually impressed and, and, yeah, recognizing the fact that everyone's right in this. And, I, yeah, it, it ends up being a much more impactful title than just the, the words on the screen uh, in the context of what we've experienced and what we've accumulated as an audience with these yeah. characters and show. I yeah. think Forest? the show has done like a... Sorry, uh, I'm going to keep interrupting because that's what Brad does. <laughs> um, what the show does with these the titles is they make them sometimes very obvious, but sometimes, mo and I would say most of the time, there are many meanings, right? Like when you call mm -hmm. the show that chapter the Jedi, like Ahsoka's the Jedi. Mm, is mm. she? No, she's not. <laughs> is it Grogu? Yeah, like like I, I, you can you have to have a conversation with every title, and I think that is uh, really like ingenious on on their part. And the sweep of the leg is the to us implies one, yeah. but it doesn't have to be mean one. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boris, you yeah, have any so, thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> I have thoughts all the time. Uh, whether they're right or relevant, that's a whole different story, you know, and a topic for another podcast. But um, you know. After everything Lisa said, I'm ready to buy an RV and just give it all up and live the life I want. Um, yeah! You know. <laughs> like, that's honestly why I love having these dis discussions. Like, it just, we can take so much, and this is why I love Star Wars and sci-fi and just all this stuff. Because, you know, it just, there's just so much to unwind and so much to talk about and so much, uh, you know, mirroring our lives and the world and, you know, seeing where we are in our everyone's personal life. You know, whether you live in Canada or the U.S., whether you are locked down or not. You know, whether you're employed or not. We each have our different journey, um, and you know, this show and this episode really showed you that everyone has different perspectives, and your perspective can change for you know a ton of variables. Um, and this overall, this episode just was. Again, I liked it when I watched it. I liked it when I rewatched it this morning. And right now, I'm at the point where this is actually one of the better episodes of the season after the discussion with everyone because, you know, there was a lot actually going on that added to the Star Wars universe. And, you know, all of it is just build up. And all this build up, again, you know, I've questioned this in the past. Um, you know, what's the payoff? And I think the payoff is just creating this world at this point that is just absolutely amazing um in every turn but overall you know i'm really looking forward to next week and you know it it was this episode was just really really good yeah and something that i kind of glanced over and you guys referred to it was just how mayfeld and and din kind of like i'm just gonna i never saw you you yeah. know what i mean and yeah. For for Din, like the the 
what's so absolutely huge about that moment is that he's never like, look at the objections that he had to use with IG 11, Yeah, you know, and IG 11 had to like talk him down. Like I'm technically not alive. Mm. So you're not breaking your creed. You know, you're not, you're not breaking the rules, but here he is. Like it shows just in, in one season and the challenges that have been presented to him over this season and the relationship with the child, it's all at play here, but he's not, he's not going to sit there and go, oh, I need to kill Mayfeld now. Mm. Right. Like, cause he saw me or I couldn't do it because of that. It's, it's really relating to Grogu mm. and understanding what we've kind of uncovered in a lot of these episodes where Mando starts out opposing somebody and then works out to compromise, right? Like he starts out fighting Ahsoka Tano. And then they compromise. He starts out fighting Cobb Vanth. And then they compromise. He starts out fighting Boba Fett. And then he compromises. And he learns to trust people. And that's kind of one of the journeys that's going on in this show. Really subtly. But this moment to me was just like. Oh man. Like this is so weird. Because I get what he's doing now. But there would have been a time. I would have been like 13 year old me. Would have been like. I hope he guns him down. The yeah. <laughs> Bill Burr has to die. <laughs> so, yeah. Anybody have any any final thoughts? Um, do we have an idea? Like, do you have a title that you would like the next chapter to have? Uh, that would be tough. I'm 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 constantly in awe of how they title these, and I'm. I, I don't know what to expect next week. I don't know what the play is going to be. Is it trying to sew up the story or is it trying to sow the seeds for three consecutive running shows? Yeah. Like that's that's the dangerous point that we're at right now with Lucasfilm. And this is what scares me. When we have The Mandalorian as a fully realized show and we, we get them to take the chance on it, it it's a singular focus now lucasfilm are going to play their hand right and get a whole bunch of different creatives in there they're setting up three more volumes for shooting around the world right so they're setting one up in london they're setting like they're setting them up in all their their major spots and they even revealed that they expanded the volume to film season two like they're they're going all in on this which means you know with 10 potential episodes coming uh, like 10 potential shows coming it's a lot of footage and i i hope that no matter what happens with next week's episode that john and dave continue to have huge influence over these other properties otherwise it's potentially the end of a golden era mm. of star wars revival that's i'm scared right now because we've all been there like we went in we watched the prequels and whether you love them or hate hate them, the fact is is that it was challenging, right? And yeah. and we look back on it now and we're happy about it because of what happened with Clone Wars, what happened with a lot of other stuff and how they spun it. But Star Wars was at a low point, and right now we're at a high point, which means it might go downhill, but it might keep climbing. I don't know, and that's what that's my challenge with next week. Phil, you are the believer, and you're feeling very vulnerable right now. I am. I'm worried about it. I'm. I'm. I'm excited 
like I say, uh, with all of our guests, 13-year-old me sits down and watches this on Friday morning. And I just look at it through the eyes of 13-year-old me getting excited about action and, and Star Wars and, and stuff. And then I put my brain into it. And then, yeah. If we've happens. learned anything from Jinjarin, though, Phil, like, you have to take the mask off. You have to let that 13-year-old version of yourself let go because if that's if that's causing you grief, right? You have to let it fall away so that you can get closer to what is your true principle when it comes to Star Wars. Which is Grogu. Which is Grogu. Yes, go buy more Grogu. <laughs> I am starting to believe that we need Lisa as a permanent fixture on this show. <laughs> you can't take her. She's mine. <laughs> But, you know, with that said, I think that, you know, a title like The Convergence or something of The Gathering or something like that is going to be next week's episode title. Just because I have a feeling that we've seen so many different plot points. You know, we have the um, X-Wing pilots. We have Bo-Katan. We have Ahsoka. We have Din. We have everyone essentially gunning uh, for for, for Gideon at this point. And I have a feeling that everyone is somehow going to come together uh, for everyone's own mission. Um, and I have this weird prediction that I'm going to put on, I was going to say on paper, but in the interwebs. And I have a feeling that we're going to see space whales next week. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Tyler, Tyler I want to get back to the space whales, but t- Tyler, what, you, do you have a, uh, a prediction or a thought on the title? I mean, this is throwing me off entirely. So I, I, I'm with Boris. I think that it's, it's we're going to set up this thing, which then can easily spin off into other, other things. But I didn't want to pull the, pull the, the lens back a little bit. And I actually think that the announcement we saw this week with how Star Wars is going to be a bunch of things, I think is the right call for them to like manage that IP because every time they make one of these big movies, there's so many eggs in that basket, right? And all yeah. of a sudden they're like, oh my god, how are we going to? Uh, and then it gets so built up versus, I mean, that's one of the things that Marvel, when they handled that IP, which their credit was, they were just like, here's the next Marvel movie. You hate it? Whatever. There's another one in a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's very much their their credit and benefit. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I definitely hear you, Phil, regarding your worry. It's a lot of Star Wars. It's a lot of Marvel. Disney, like that investor's presentation was like overwhelming. I could not handle it. I was like, I, I yeah. gotta like step away. This is too much new information. Um, but like to me, what the Mandalorian is about, it's not about Grand Admiral Thrawn, Ahsoka Tano, um, or even Bo-Katan. It's about Jaren and Grogu. And what I want the title to be for this chapter is the sun s-o-n and this episode we just watched the believer i think and lisa pointed this out i and i think she's right i think it's the first time where someone has referred to grogu as his kid referring to Mm -hmm. Jaren. and this this series for me is about a found family and a found father and a found son and as long as the Mandalorian is about that, I am happy. Now, here's the problem. There's going to be a Jedi answering this call, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's lots of speculation of who that Jedi could be. Does it have to be a Jedi? Could it be a Sith? I'd throw that out there. Um, yep. 
now when again well i mean you know he's you know he should be dead at this point but he came back before now he's got multiple robot arms and he's like full (laughs) grievous mode like that's like i wouldn't i wouldn't put anything past it but like to me it's all about what does jaren do when he's now delivered his mission and does he does he like okay well you're you're gonna teach him but i'm still dad and i'm gonna hang out and you can just be his teacher or does he go like no actually i think the kid stays with me that's that's what i want to know or are we gonna do last of us part one yeah yeah jin's gonna kill a lot of people <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I i yeah i think that beskar steel is gonna come into play i think that's the battle we're gonna see i you know does bo katan go after moff gideon or is it beskar spear versus dark saber with manda holding the spear yeah that's, that's what i'm thinking yeah and those and those dark troopers too, right? Like oh man, yeah, dark troopers. There's a lot to unpack, and we've opened oh, Pandora's yeah. box. We've thrown out the seventh sign or the seventh fleet on those uh, HK droids. We've referred to Thrawn, so we know that Thrawn is doing his own thing somewhere out there, and has his own armada. And I think we're going to uncover that there's a discrepancy between where Moff Gideon is going with the Empire. And where Thrawn is going with his division. I think that's yeah. being set up as well. I don't know what the payoff's going to be in this next episode, but you can bet that they're going to be building for it. Uh, it's going to be Space Whales, uh, to Boris's point, and Ezra Bridger's <laughs> at, uh, writing one of them. <laughs> well, I mean, we did get that tease ages back about who is playing him. So. Yeah. yeah, and he's playing a lot in that space still, because I follow him on social media. Yeah. And he's not denying things and he's always like he was shooting in vancouver and star wars theory ran into him on the street oh no and actually tweeted a a a thing with them and he was wearing a lucasfilm shirt (laughs) like the guy is fully and i don't know if he's just a big super fan which that's what he claims but it it keeps on like they were making jokes about the fact that he's playing Edger Bridger. Yeah. So I'm like, this is weird, man. This is getting really weird when you're doing fan interactions and kind of acknowledging it like that. It's it's potentially there that he's going to be the Jedi. That answers the call. Right. But they might not do it. They might not deliver on it. What can we say? Lisa, any final thoughts? Um, I guess if I were to say, my final thought is what a powerful choice from the beginning of this series to, um, make the center of the series, someone who is both, uh, a baby, like the most vulnerable you can be an infant and very, very wise. I, I think that having this kind of, um, powerful deep vulnerability as the crux of all of this action is so powerful and i think um goes to the heart of why people are responding so so well to the mandalorian and um yeah yeah that's why you can't have the jedi come in take the baby away and then then third third season is just jarring like it can't be that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I can't. It, it, it's it's obviously being set up for more. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a wrap on our episode. Boris, you have any any thoughts or anything? 
I have a lot of thoughts, but Still. right now I think it's time to wrap this up in a nice, neat little package. As I think the next episode will wrap up this season up in a nice little package. So before we go, Brad, Lisa, can you tell our awesome listeners how they can find you, where they can find you, where they can, they, where they can find your podcast, what your podcast is, and a little more about you guys. Lisa, um, words of affirmation. Where can they? Where can listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Oh, that's so sweet. I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at Mouthwork. Our podcast is the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. If you're a comic book geek, we uh, encourage you to seek us out on our website, ComicBookCouplesCounseling.com. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at CBCC Podcast. Uh, what we do is we take a comic book couple like Scott Summers and Jean Grey, and we pair them up with a relationship book, say uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And then we break down their relationship and decide whether or not this couple is going to make it or not. We just completed our series on Miyamoto Usagi and Tomoe Ame from Stan Sakai's Usagi Yojimbo. And we are going into our big end of the year episode, The Best Comics of 2020. Um, another plug for me is if you like talking Mandalorian, you can find me on Film School Rejects every week. I am the author of The Mandalorian Explained. Uh, I do most of the Star Wars talk over at Film School Rejects. So, uh, yeah, just hit me up there. Awesome. Thank That's you awesome. guys so much. And thank you for being on the show. It was honestly great episode to chat. Um, and, you know, it's anytime we need counseling, I'm sure I'm going to run to Lisa. <laughs> I mean, we're not experts. That's why we have the uh, relationship guides. This we're not, we're <laughs> not professionals. We have no doctorate. Though I have absorbed a lot of information from reading self-help book after self-help book. Yeah, but this has been a ton of fun. I've really had a great time chatting this episode. It's nice to like just fully immerse yourself in one what 34 minute episode and like stretch that conversation out into what is it hour six that we're talking right now um, <laughs> I, I really exactly really really enjoy it thanks so yeah, much it was Thank great you. having Thank you guys we and really appreciate Phil, you how about you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of us why certainly you can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com you can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Amazon, iHeartRadio even. Anywhere that you find podcasts, you're going to find us. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can catch when we drop all of our zany episodes. And yeah, make sure to leave us a rate and review. We really appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to the show. Yep, thanks, Phil, for that. And it is Monday, December the 14th. And as much as I like not dating these episodes or talking about current events so that you can go back and listen to these anytime, I do want to make mention that today is the first day of Christmas, of our 12 days of Christmas uh, podcasting extravaganza. So if you want to hear Tyler, Phil, and myself hate something so much where, you know, we're speechless half the time, then be sure to tune in as we review Star Trek Lower Decks. And I regret every second of doing this. I love Lower Decks! No! 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 None of us can stand it. So funny, so charming. We love it! It's got the deep cuts we need as Trekkies. Delicious. Oh. oh, you have to tune in and listen because we absolutely destroy it. Like, we eviscerate but it. We destroy it and then we justify why 
we don't like certain things and um you know it's 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 a fun little chat like as i'm doing the editing i'm thinking wow we are so negative but we always try to back our claims up with actual reasons and put some thought into why we hate the show so much but 12 days of christmas which leads us into our christmas extravaganza which i will be gifting phil and tyler something to watch tyler will gift phil and me something to watch and we're gonna phil's gonna do the same and we're gonna talk about whatever it is that we're watching so be ready for the next 12 days as we chat all things geek on the it's canon podcast because it's the podcast where we talk about all things video games all things books all things toys all things star wars all things lego all things everything and anything and you know what the best part of it all is guys and lisa yes it's all in canon thank you so much for listening <laughs> goodbye And done.